Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Download, subscribe, rate, and review fresh content every Thursday right here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. And we are going to dive right into it immediately. Jonesy, we've been doing this a ton over the course of this season, trying to catch up with older Raptors. And I don't mean that necessarily in, in, in age, but Raptors from years gone by and joining us on the line right now. Only had one season with the Raptors, but still made an impact. And I know he's going to have a bunch of stories to tell us. We bring into the conversation Charlie Villanueva. All right, Charlie, I'm going to hit you with some history right off the top here. And, I, and, I, and I've just given, given away part of the answer or part of the little secret right here in saying that it is history. Does March 26th mean anything to you? Does that date, because we're only a couple of days away from that as we're doing this interview, but does that have any little, you know, any little light bulbs or any little memories popping off in your brain right now? I will say, was it the time uh, Toronto played Milwaukee and I scored 48? <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it was a, it was a, it was a 27 and 55 season. It was a, it was a rough year overall, but late in the Ooh. year, I believe it was game 70, if I'm not mistaken. And there you were putting up 48 and, and man at that time. And even still to this day, you talk about rookie scoring highs, like your name is among the top 15, 10, 15 in history in terms of players to put up that number or those kind of numbers in your rookie season. Like what a night, what a night that was, Charlie. Yeah, if I can remember correctly, I remember, I believe UConn was playing uh, George Mason, I believe like in the Final Four or something like that, and they ended up losing, and I was so angry. And the fact that you lost, <laughs> and then it so happened that I ended up taking it out on Milwaukee that night. Uh, Charlie, I, I remember being at that game, and and at one point, some people at the bench looked at us. We used to sit in the front row calling the game. Yeah. Some people on the bench looked at us. Guys were checking in and coaches looking at us like, what's gotten into him? What What do you remember specifically about the game? You just told us about the circumstances, but um, yeah. I, I just remember you shaking guys down, man, and, and no matter who they put in front of you, it, it still ended up in a bucket. What do you remember about the game yeah. or any specifics about the game? If I can remember correctly, uh, I believe Chris Boss ended up getting hurt or something like that, and and we needed scoring. So uh, I just took it upon myself. And, you know, one of those things, man, this is what, this goes for any NBA player, man. It's, it's, it's If you start making a couple in a row, you start feeling good, that basket looks bigger than what it really is. And that's what it was. You know, I was just in the – and I got into a groove, and, and man – <laughs> and the rest was history, man. But uh, that was a good night for sure for me personally. And Michael Red had had thirty five on the other side for the Bucks. The Bucks end up winning the ball game. But you're right, Bosch went down, played only seven minutes. Uh, you were out there with with Pop So and Mike James and Mo Pete played forty nine minutes that night. I just I just brought up the box score as an overtime game. And uh, wow. and you know, I, man, I'm looking I'm looking at some of the names here. You know, coming off the bench, of course, Eric Williams and your guy Joey Graham. Matt Bonner played 28. Yeah. Hoffa was in there for a couple minutes. Derek Martin, like, man, this is why we love having these conversations, talking about yeah. guys from from years gone by, Charlie. And and, yeah. and your time in Toronto was obviously very brief, but at the same time, yeah. the impact that you had on 
on the on the city, on the fan base, and and Charlie, I got to assume the impact that the city and fan base had on you, bringing you into the league as well. What's crazy is that, that, that to this day, because I still go up to Toronto. You know, my son lives out there, and uh, to this day, people still show me love. And what's crazy is I only was there for six months, to be honest, I mean, for a season. And just the love that the, the city embraced you, man, it, it was amazing, man. And, uh, I mean, still is to this day. Uh, I remember getting drafted to Toronto, not knowing much about Toronto, but, um, you know, uh, they just embraced me right away. And, and I got, I still have that love for Toronto so much. Charlie, does that, does that help you with other NBA guys when you hear guys talk about Toronto? I mean, it's changed. But it hasn't. I mean, people who are unaware, even though Toronto's won a championship, still don't know much about the city. And, you know, some guys come here, I always say they come kicking and screaming, but when they get here, they love it. Um, What do you have to say to other guys around the league who might not have the best things to say about Toronto or are a little bit leery or, or skeptical about coming to Toronto? But to this day, Toronto is still, still my favorite city. I mean, it's it's so well diverse. Um, it's it, it's I call it. I call it. You know, I'm from New York City. I call it. You know, it's it's very similar to New York, but a lot cleaner and a lot safer. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> Canada, man. I mean, Toronto is just. It's just uh, an amazing city. I mean, there's so much to do. And, and, and what it is is people just don't know much about it. But once you get there, I mean, it's it's a, it's a wonderful experience for sure. You know, Charlie uh, Jones and I were yesterday at a at a, an event for Canada Basketball, uh, announcing a new partnership. Jonesy actually is on the board for Canada Basketball as well, and and the rise of the program on both the men's and women's side, uh, and and hopefully bigger things to come for for the men this summer at the uh, at the World Championships and and maybe the Olympic Games coming up as well. And the reason I bring that up, you talked about the fact that you know your son is is still up here. We're gonna see Villanueva yeah. on the back of a Canadian jersey one day, or what, Charlie? Yeah, that's the plan. I mean, he's he's about six five, fourteen years old right now. Um, he's he's playing, he's doing well, and hopefully, you know, he can represent the country. I mean, he he got options, that's for sure. <laughs> he <Yeah>. can represent <laughs> the U.S. He can represent, you know, uh, Canada. But uh, um, yeah, man, he's 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 doing terrific. So I'm happy for him. But Jonesy, the funny thing too is his his son's fourteen and he's six five. My kid's fourteen, and I don't even think he's five six yet. So, <laughs> so I don't think there's going to be a villain away and a Smith playing beside each other anytime soon. <laughs> uh, Charlie, Charlie, you, you have really well, hopefully be like a footer. He might be seven feet, so we'll see. Yeah. Charlie, we've seen the real rise of um, over time the AAU game. Um, yeah. How do, how do you think that's and we've been talking to a lot of people about this when we when we get a hold of them. How do you think that's impacted um, things all the way up to the pro level? Because we see guys coming in, you know, one and done in college, and they're basically one year removed from AAU, and now they're playing yeah, yeah. in the NBA. And and I mean, you were a guy that you went to college and you you learned a little bit about life and how to handle your time and and had some older people in your ear. It it. it it's changed a whole lot, though, right now, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. I mean, I, I've always been a fan of of going to college and maturing and, and, 
and learning a little bit more about life. You know what I mean? I mean, like you said, like some of these these guys are, are one year removed from uh, AAU, and then all of a sudden they're, they're in the league. And sometimes it, it hurts them because they're not grown enough, stepping into this business, mature enough to step into this business and, and treat it like a business. That's what people don't understand that, you know, NBA is a business when it's all said and done. Um, so, and, and then some of these kids, it hurts them because, you know, they, they, they go to these teams and, and then they sit for a while. They don't know how to handle that, you know? So I've always been a fan of, of maturing and, 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 and playing against, you know, uh, kids more your age versus playing against grown men. But I know there's certain different, there's, this, there's, there's exceptions to every rule. You know, you have your LeBron James, you have your, you know, the, the guys that, that went out of high school that are special um, that could make that leap without no problem. So uh, I've always been a fan of, of, of going to college and, and getting your, you know, your one or two years in and, and just maturing a little bit and, and playing guys more uh, on your level. Hey, Charlie, let me, let me take what you just said and, 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 and kind of twist it a little bit to, to you specifically and, and that first year sure. in the league coming in with Toronto. We, we've often had conversations over the years as well with so many guys about kind of what you were just discussing. You come in even as a pro and you've been the best of the best. You've been the top dog in, going back to bitty ball, let alone high school, let alone college. And then you come to the pros and maybe you're not playing a whole ton. Maybe you're coming off the bench. Maybe you're playing sporadic minutes. Maybe you're barely not even seeing the floor or – Maybe you're playing the first full season after a franchise player was traded the season before. Like Vince Carter was dealt December of 2004. The Raptors finish out 05, that campaign, without Vince, obviously. But the first full season without Vince, a new era, obviously a bit of a reset button has been hit, and you're a part of that. I've got to assume that as much as it was personally good for you to come in and get minutes and play heavy minutes, it also was a tough time to be a part of that, even though, again, it was a short time for you, to be a part of that transition as this team was trying to navigate its way forward. Yeah, it was tough. It was tough for me because, you know, in every level, you know, from high school, you know, I won three championships and then go to college, win a championship. You know, I was used to winning. And, when I got to Toronto, you know, things were, you know, like you said, it was a transitional period. So I had to adjust. I had to, you know, it, it, it was tough because um, I had to learn how to stay with it. I had to learn not to get frustrated. I had to learn not that my emotions get the best of me. It, it was just so different for me, you know, uh, to being in a situation like that. Um, but I also will say this, you know, like coming off the bench, because I did come off the bench, you know, uh, starting mm-hmm. off. You know, me going to college, preparing for that, because my first year in UConn, I came off the bench, right? And I was still able to produce. So having that under my belt kind of helped me a little bit. But I must say, being that, that first year was tough. It was tough. But all I can do is just go out there and play, you know, play as hard as I can and give the, the, the best effort that I can. Hey, Charlie, how much once you got uh, into the latter stages of your career, and you said it, it was tough the first year. I mean, you come in wide-eyed, and then you quickly realize this is uh, not only is it good basketball, but it's a grown man's business, too. How much did you try to help some of the younger guys who were coming in? And, I got, you know, I look at it. There are a whole lot of young guys coming in after you, and you had some time in the league. Yeah, I mean, it, what's crazy is I had to learn it was a business right away. I mean, uh, my first year when I got traded, I, I'm going to tell you guys, Jonesy and Harry, I was hurt. 
when they traded me, I was hurt. I took that personal um, because I was I felt like I was so loyal to the to the um, to the team and this down the third. But at the end of the day, it's a business, so I had to learn right away. So spreading the word and just you know t- telling these kids, telling the, the the younger kids, you know that it's a business, man. And I think they they they're doing a, a better job now. Um, I think social media has helped. I think, you know, uh, different things has changed over the course of the year that prepare these kids more and, and they have more of an understanding that this is a business. But I try to uh, uh, try to put the word out and just, you know, you treat this as a, as a business at all times. And I always keep that in mind. You know, even again, Charlie, your, your your words right there are kind of triggering something else I saw the other day, and I'd, I'd be interested in your perspective on this. Um, another former player who's still actively involved in the game, Pops Mensabansu, I saw a post that he had the other day on, on his, speaking of social media, on, on his Instagram, and it was a quote that had been, you know, he gave um, to a to a magazine, and he put the quote up, and, and I, I, I quickly reached out to him and just kind of sent him a message and and, and you know, just to give him props for, for what he said. And this was the quote. He says, I was a journeyman throughout my career, and people often look down on it. To me, it's what makes me who I am to this day, though. That journey, that process that I went through allows me to now be a better executive. And and what I, what I wrote to Pops was – don't ever think about journey as or being a journeyman as a bad thing, as 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 he said, the journey was part of the process. Because Charlie, at the end of the day, we're talking about thirty teams, fifteen guys. That's four hundred and fifty jobs. That's four hundred and fifty mm-hmm. jobs in the entire world with seven billion people. I don't care if you're the fifteenth dude at the end of the bench and you play two minutes an entire season. You are still a hell of a player, and it takes something to grind to get there and to go through the process, no matter whether you're a star. Whether you're a journeyman, whether you're you're a starter, or whether you're a, a bit player, it's all a part of it. And I, I've got to assume that's part of what you're teaching to your children and to to young players as well. Absolutely, it's a grind. It, it's extremely hard to make it to the NBA. And the one thing that you forgot to mention is that every year there's at least thirty players guaranteed to come in, possibly you yep. know sixty <laughs> second round. So that means thirty players have to get out the league, have to go. Um, so having longevity and, and 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 I don't look like that was an amazing deep quote by, by Pops because um, being a journeyman shouldn't be looked upon. You know, he was able to, uh, it's part of the process. It was his grind. It's his story. It's what he had to deal with. Um, and he did play for no, uh, numerous years. So, um, yeah, you should definitely don't look down, don't look down upon that, man. And, uh, Longevity in this in this league is tough. It's tough, and like you said, the fifteen, you know, the the, the guy that's the fifteen on on the roster. I mean, he was he was. I guarantee you, he, he played very nice uh, wherever he came from. He was the man of that team. So, um, and it's crazy because you know everybody has to have a different role. You gotta, you know, you cannot have five stars. I mean, fifteen stars on, on a team. Yeah, you know, it's just not possible. So people have to adjust, make sacrifices, and and accept their role. Charlie, I look at the way the game is being played now, and you are one of the guys. And Eric and I talk about this on our broadcast all the time. That you you kind of just miss that era, um, and you were yeah. kind of it. It was it was coming around a little bit towards the end of your time where. 
you know, you had the stretch player, the big guy who had the skills to go inside but could shoot it from the outside. I think of yourself. I think of a guy like Andrea Bargnani, and I think of this era and how you would have fit. Give me your take on the state of the game now and the way the skills are looked at differently. I mean, a guy your size back in the day, it's like you dribble the ball twice on the perimeter, like, hey, man, give it to a guard and get inside. But, yeah, but the right. game's changed right. now. The game's changed. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you said it. Uh, the game has definitely changed dramatically. And I think Golden State played a big role in that um, where, you know, they were able to win championships where having practically almost five guards out there almost uh, with Jamon at the five, you know, being guys that can uh, uh, put the ball on the floor. But uh, um, nowadays, you know, <laughs> that's normal. I mean, it's positionless basketball. Um, sometimes guys, uh, teams be having, you know, five guards out there. Um, and nobody's playing defense nowadays. <laughs> the scores nowadays is like 130 yeah. to one. You know what I mean? So uh, I definitely would have benefited a lot from that. Because, <laughs> um, uh, you know, back back in the day, you know, I was ended up guarding, you know, bigger guys than me. You know, that, that was always – I always find that a little bit challenging. You know, for me, being at the position that I was playing for, um, I was always guarding bigger guys. But nowadays, you know, a big man is not – it's almost non-existent. Um, where teams out there have, you know, there are five guys that can, that can put the ball on the floor and that can shoot. Charlie, how tough can that be, playing out of position and trying to, to, to guard somebody – uh, that that might be bigger, stronger, taller, uh, whatever it may be, and, and trying to find ways to use your body, your skill set to to combat that 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 differential or that that difference in game, and then using it maybe to to your strength uh, on the other end of the floor. It was extreme, it was extremely challenging for me on the defense end because you know I was that I was you know I wasn't a big strong guy, you know what I mean? Where I can bang with the with I can bang with with some of the guys down low, but I, it was always tough for me, and I wasn't quick enough to guard you know uh, some of these guys on the wing. So it was always uh, a struggle for me. That was a battle that I had to uh, face every single day. But on the opposite end, you know, when the bigger guys were guarding me, I took advantage of that because I knew I was a lot quicker than them, and, and you know I was able to put the ball on the floor and able to. Uh, the, the stretch the floor, and that's what I think that kept me around for 11 years was the fact that I was able to do that. Um, so uh, I use it to my benefit for sure, being able to stretch the floor, being able to put the ball on the ground as well. Uh, but it was an everyday struggle for me on the other end, uh, being able to to guard some of these bigger guys or these quicker guys, uh, you know, on the wing. Charlie. Is there a guy in the league now, or I shouldn't limit it to one, the way the game has changed now? You're right, and I totally agree with you. I mean, uh, it seems like de- defense has been devalued in the game, and it's, yeah. it's, about, it's about possessions. It's about pace and space. Uh, coaches sometimes have to bite their tongue and settle for shots because of the way the, the analytics are talking about threes. But are there a few guys in the league now that you like to watch say, hey, you know what, I'm – I'm going to turn on the TV tonight. I'm going to get on my league pass. I want to make sure I see X player. Like, there's got to be a few guys that you really enjoy watching, especially in this type of game. 
You know what's crazy is that nowadays I I don't watch many much games on TV, but there is a, a player that I do love watching, and it so happened that you know I live in Texas, so it's, it's <laughs> so uh, Dallas. It's just Luca. I love watching Luca. Um, how dominant he is in the game, and how like he doesn't even look. I mean, he's not athletic. Um, he's not quick. But he's very savvy with the basketball. His basketball IQ is tremendous to the roof. Um, and just watching him play, how young he is and how, you know, mature he carries himself with. I mean, he's a general out there. And uh, it's just amazing watching him play, to be honest. Hey, let, let, me, let me flip that on you for a second, uh, Charlie. You talk about his yeah. youth and how young he is and what he's able to do. And I say this yeah. to you respectfully. You're only 38 years old. Can you even fathom what LeBron James is still doing to this day? I mean, like, listen, I know he's hurt right now and he's out of the lineup, but yeah. but for him to still be going and playing at the level he did for so much of this season and, and, and at his age and the dominance that he still shows, can you even, like, like how, how could you be out there right now, Charlie, at 38, doing even no. half of what he does? Like, I mean, it's, no. it's, it's incredible. It's it's incredible, and that's what I think separates him. And to me, it's like he's one of the great ones to me because to do it for so long and every single year, you know, this guy is his name is up there as one of the top players. You know, and, and it's crazy because I try to go out there and I go to my local gym and try to hoop with some of these guys, <laughs> you know, because I still got it, I believe. I run up and down that court once or twice. I'm like, wait a minute. My back, my knees, my ankles, they're telling me otherwise. Like, <laughs> like sit down. Um, but to watch my 30, it puts it into perspective. It's like, wow, like, I can't do this at 30. Like, no, I cannot. There's no way. And for him to do it at the biggest stage in the world and still, and still be one of the top players at that age, I mean, to me, it's, 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 it shouldn't even be an argument. To me, he's one of the best to ever do it, to ever lace him up. Charlie, great catching up with you, man. And, hey, just to, just to bring it full circle as well, I did, I did Google. I mean, listen, not that I didn't trust your brain, but 100% it was on that exact date. It was, it was George Mason beating UConn by two back you, in 2006. You, yeah. Yep, yep. I remember yep. I was heated. I was I was here. Hey, Charlie, did, now, I know that they were coming after you in the locker room. I know that they were coming after you, and you, 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 you had to pay up some bets. I know something was going on there, too, which made you even more heated. Am I right? Exactly. Exactly. And it's like, man, George, man, I thought it was going to be a cakewalk, but nah. <laughs> they got it. <laughs> Charlie, man, great, great here from you. Glad to hear things are well, and uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you again sometime down the road. All the best, man. Man, awesome to talk to Charlie Villanueva. And as we said, Jonesy, in the interview, like a, a you know, he said it as well. Not even a full year, one season, but basically six months in Toronto, and then he ultimately gets dealt to the Milwaukee Bucks. We talk about that game against the Bucks, uh, where he had the the forty eight points. On the other side was the guy that he would ultimately be traded for, T.J. Ford. Ford didn't play in that game, but remember who was suiting up for the Bucks at that time as well? Current Raptors assistant coach, Canadian, Jamal McGlure. Like, it's, it's, it's wild to look back at some of those. Like, yeah. Tony Kukoc was coming off the bench 
for the Bucks at that point. You know, like Bobby Simmons was doing damage in the starting lineup. I, I love looking back at those old box scores and whatever and kind of reminiscing with some of those names from, from years gone by and just seeing – you know, seeing seeing some of those players as I as I was you know rhyming off the names to to Charlie there, what that Raptor roster as well looked like back in you know oh five oh six. Yeah, the game the game never stops, right? And and uh, you know, you and I can reflect back to that time period when the Raptors were trying to get it going. They you know it was it was Sam Mitchell as a young coach. Uh, you know, he had been in Milwaukee. That's where he was an assistant the year before, and just or two years before, and things were just kind of, uh, you know, sputtering in Toronto. There was potential, but it couldn't all be put together. And then all of a sudden, you know, the next year, there's a division championship, right? <laughs> and and it, it can turn that quickly in the NBA. But you're right, looking back and, and looking at, uh, you know, looking at some of the names on, on, uh, on the roster and, you know, Andrew Bogut, is still playing for Milwaukee at, at that point. Um, you know, uh, Charlie Bell out of Michigan State. It, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of fun to look back, and it also makes, us, makes me feel a little bit old. Charlie was only one year, but Eric, I remember that game. He was doing damage. He was giving him work, and uh, it, was, it was really something to behold because we know it. In the NBA, any night, these guys are all stars. Any night, any guy can go off. Well, it, it's it, you just mentioned the name of Andrew Bogut as well, Jonesy. I'm, I'm I'm racking my brain here to try and remember who the fifth guy was. Um, but the all rookie team, the first team that year, Charlie was on it, and it was yeah. Bogut. I'm ninety nine point no, I'm a hundred percent convinced Chris Paul was on it, and I believe Darren Williams was the other one. I'm trying to remember who the – I'm going to have to Google it while we're chatting here, but who the fifth guy was. But, like, it wasn't just kind of like, oh, he had an okay year. He had a hell of a year. When he got dealt in the offseason, which is probably what he was speaking to, the fact that he was so crushed by the trade, he comes in the league, he thinks he's found a home, he's part of a, a rebuild and a re, you know a, a, a new generation potentially for the Raptors, and boom, you know, gets dealt – to Milwaukee for T.J. Ford and, and, and whatnot. And that, that had to have been a blow. I mean, because he, he had a hell of a season. Yeah, I, I, I beat you to it on the Google. E. Andrew Bogut, Channing Fry from the Knicks, Chris Paul from New Orleans Hornets, Charlie V, and Darren Williams from Utah. Yeah, and so, that was okay, a, so it was, so was, was, so was Fry yeah. that I forgot. Hmm. Yeah, that wow. was a time period when we were people were, making, were asking, like, did Utah – pick the right guy in Darren Williams would you rather have not had Chris Paul like all, all of those things and I, I remember the uh, the uh, you know the, the the back and forth with all of that and 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 there was Charlie you know people had questions about Charlie when the Raptors picked him they really did and he came out and he had a really really good year and then bang the next year uh, he's traded and uh, that had to have been a blow wait a minute I come in here I'm a top 10 pick we're building something. I'm looking at being a cornerstone. I'm first team all rookie, and you're trading me. Uh, I can see where that would that would really hurt. Hey, and, and as a young guy, loyalty even, would kill. Yeah, and I'll even one up ourselves in in terms of what we were just chatting about. Who finished second in in, in voting behind Chris Paul, second for rookie of the year that year? Charlie Villanueva. Yeah. So you're yeah. second for rookie of the year. You're on the first all rookie team. 
And then three months after you put up 48, boom, you're dealt. And then here's another one, too. Here's <laughs> Keep peeling back the, uh, the, the onions, uh, the, the layers of the onion here. You get dealt, and the Raptors needed a guard. Mike James left. T.J. Ford comes in. Ford had a heck of a, a, a campaign for a couple of seasons with the Raptors before ultimately Jose Calderon took over the reins. But they ended up essentially replacing Charlie, kind of, sort of, with Andrea Bargnani. Yeah. A very similar player. Like, very yeah. similar player. So, yeah. I mean, listen, again, you don't get Ford if you don't deal Charlie, but then you dealt Charlie, and then, like, hold on, we actually liked what he did, and you end up going and out and getting a very similar player in Andrea, which, I mean, if you're Charlie, probably you're thinking, well, wait a second, why didn't you just keep me that? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. 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 Man, Crazy it's stuff. always always fun to peel back the layers of the onion. Um, anyway, we'll continue with more on Smith & Jones. Welcome back to Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Thanks again to Charlie Villanueva for joining us. Uh, and make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. And what a night it was at Scotiabank Arena on Thursday night when the Indiana Pacers came to down and started three Canadians. Yes, it was tough for the Raptors if you're a Raptor fan. Toronto losing a very important game, but a big night for Canadian basketball players and for the program overall. And to discuss that and a whole lot more, the president and CEO of Canada Basketball, Michael Bartlett. Michael, Thursday night, uh, obviously a tough loss for the Raptors, but uh, a big night for Canada basketball, just for basketball in Canada and for Canadians who have played the game and grown with the game and are now excelling and starring for their respective teams and obviously not just Toronto. Three Canadians starting for the Indiana Pacers on, on Thursday night. But even before the game started and even before those three dudes stepped out onto the court, their head coach, who grew up in the state of New York, just over the border, uh, you know, probably a, a stone's throw away from, from Canada, he was talking about growing up and, and, you know, being a basketball fan, but 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 also, of course, being a hockey fan and being a fan of Canada and, and watching CBC and watching the evolution of sports in this country and thus bringing a unique perspective, Rick Carlisle, of having seen firsthand the growth of us as a nation, as a sporting nation, beyond just the ice and the puck. And very interesting to hear a lot of the words that he spoke, Michael, and, and just seeing the, the sort of the culmination of everything that's been building and building and building for decades now and how it's really kind of seeming to hit a peak in 2022, 2023. Yeah, it's, you know, Eric, it's great when the, those outside of this country are recognizing the growth of the game in this country. Uh, I got to say, a real classy name by Coach Carlisle, too, um, naming those three young Canadians as starters for the game so that history was made uh, on home soil in front of their family, the three of them starting the game for the first time ever in, in NBA history. So, you know, it's, it's great for the program to see moments like this um, you know, obviously, we have bigger moments in mind um, for for basketball in Canada, and specifically for Canada basketball when we compete internationally. But it's almost every night. Well, listen, the last week and a half, it's been Canada basketball week at Scotiabank Arena. Another player followed by another player, all superstars: Shea, Jamal, Nikhil. You know, the three young guys yesterday. Corey's coming through on Friday. Um, it's you know, it's just. It's really palpable right now, the momentum that we have. Uh, we have to leverage that as a program and, and do the winning that we're 
expected to do. But um, just for basketball in Canada, I don't think times have been better. Michael, how much were you smiling when I, I call it the leaf effect, the Toronto Maple Leaf effect, where you know I, I take a kid like a guy like John Tavares who grew up uh, in the Toronto in the GTA and you know gets into the NHL and I mean there are tons of them, um, but um, you know they're Leaf fans or they watch the Leafs hockey night in Canada every Saturday, and then they make the NHL and they come back and they play in Toronto and. They just go wild. You can't control them. I mean, I mean, the Indiana game was multiplied by three because it wasn't just one guy or even Oklahoma City with two. I mean, there were three of them. They started uh, a guy like O'Shea Brissett, who has an edge probably because he used to be a Raptor. And then, you know, Benedict Matherin, that, that kid would, would go after it if he was playing on Mars. And then a- Andrew Nemhard, who's just north of the city in Aurora, they come back. And they play lights out and they get a win. And you've always talked about our athletes performing on home soil. You must have had a smile on your face watching that. Yeah, I, I did. Um, you know, I admit being a diehard Raptor fan, so it's tough seeing my favorite team uh, lose a game that we know they wanted to win. But to see um, Ben and O'Shea and, and Andrew have, you know, defining moments within, within that game, that they all had one. Um, and then to see Andrew go off like he did, like he had 14 points in the first quarter. Yeah. Uh, I texted his dad halfway through. I'm like, you can't be in your seat much right now. He's like, I can't sit still. This is amazing. Um, like there was, I think between the three of them, they had close to 500 friends and family at the game. Uh, I think it was 200 alone just in the Nemhard. Uh, Michael, Michael, most ever. I, I I saw the security people on the way out, yeah. and they were beside themselves. They said, no matter how many Canadians have rolled through, we've never had this many people post-game. Yeah, yeah. and just to see their teammates react to them the way that they did. You know, they, I don't know if you saw that shot of the teammates carrying them into the huddle. Um, pre-game uh, and surrounding the three Canadians. Uh, Andrew, when he hit that dagger three, uh, you know, the reaction from the bench, knowing that he did that in front of so many friends and family, you know, he ends up, you know, with a, with a career, almost a career, um, you know, game for himself in the NBA. So just seeing that camaraderie that it's not just us that are happy for these young men when they get this opportunity, their teammates are, their friends and family are. You think on TV, the nation is. So if you were watching that game last night as a basketball fan from this country, you had a lot of reasons to smile, even though the Raptors didn't pull it up. Michael, one, one of the other comments that uh, Rick Carlisle had, uh, point blank, just saying, it's pretty amazing, and then he called it pretty breathtaking, talking about the, the growth of the program and, and the number of impact Canadians in the league now. Let me ask you personally, because you've got an interesting perspective, obviously, as people know, from having worked with MLSE and now working and heading up Canada basketball. What was it like for you when you were on the other side working for the lone Canadian franchise where clearly your role and your job is to promote the Raptors and the national brand that is the Raptors, not just the local brand, but also keeping an eye on we're also ambassadors for the national team. We're ambassadors for the sport. We're ambassadors for the growth of the game beyond just the Raptors and the NBA. And now you're actually living it in the role you have now. What, what's the differences or some of the similarities, the parallels that maybe existed in your specific, you know, roles in two different, you know, in two different jobs, I suppose. Yeah. Well, you know, I haven't 
I don't know if I talk too much about it, but like one of my roles for MLFC um, was overseeing our community sport partnership group, and within that portfolio was the partnership between MLFC Raptors and Canada Basketball. So for the ten years that I was at MLFC, we were very much involved in supporting. Um, Canada basketball at all levels, whether it be domestic programming, coaching clinics, uh, all the way through to, you know, helping them sell tickets for friendlies that they were playing in Canada. So, you know, I got a 10-year head start in, in falling in love with the organization, but also a 10-year head start in recognizing that the moment was just around the corner. The moments that we are seeing now, uh, we've been anticipating as, as Raptor and MLC employees and, and friends of Canada basketball. We've been anticipating that for well over a decade. And, you know, I've, I've, I've been called a lot of things in my life. Um, stupid isn't one of them. And because like, when the opportunity to join Canada basketball at this moment presented itself, it wasn't just me that thought it was a great idea. MLC was like, yeah, like this is the time. Go do that because – having a family member over in this program. And, and I got to tell you, the, the amount of support that we get from MLSC and the Raptors specifically in order uh, to, to grow this program, to train properly. Uh, I know Nick's talked about it a lot, but just even having Nate Mitchell and Nate Bjorken released from the Raptors coaching staff in the middle of the season to coach our winter core team in a qualifier in Venezuela and Argentina and mystery games like that. That relationship is foundational. Um, our success it is as a result of you know, Raptors' support and, and MLSC's support. And we actually hope their future success and fandom and attention to basketball in this country, that we will contribute to that narrative as well. So that it, we're not just growing Raptor fans in this country, we're growing basketball fans. And, and they can flip-flop between our team and the Raptors, um, you know, depending on who's who's performing at the, at the moment. Michael, I love your line where you say the next uh, where were you moment is, is, is hinging with Canada basketball and our teams when we do something on the world stage. And I was talking about this at the news conference. Uh, we want medals and, and, and we want to dance on the podium. And when I think about it, um, where where do you think we're headed with with that? Where 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 could it be down the road? The next where were you moment when when you know a Canadian basketball team, men, women at the senior level, pull something off? Yeah, and you know when I when I define that ambition, you know, I'll often continue by saying like as a as a young person, I can tell you where I was when Ben Johnson. One, I can also tell you where I was when, when Ben Johnson was, was stripped. I can tell you where I was when Donovan won. I can tell you where I was when Sydney scored that goal. I can tell you where I was when the Canadian women's soccer team won Olympic gold just recently. Like, those are moments. Mike Weir, Bianca Andreski, uh, like, those are moments that define the Canadian sport narrative. And I want Canada basketball to create the next one for Canadians. Um, I anticipate that that's an Olympic moment. That's when even the casual fan is paying attention to sport. And when you think ahead to Paris 2024, basketball will be the primary narrative of that Olympics. If nothing but for the fact that France loves basketball. So there's going to be a lot of attention on basketball you know, at those Olympic Games. And we anticipate... Uh, 
certainly we've got work to do still to qualify officially for men's and women's. And, of course, our Series 2 women's team as well is uh, top-ranked in the world, ranked number six overall right now, and they finished the season last year first um, in the season standing. So we've got a shot to go into Paris and be the basketball narrative, certainly to contribute to it heavily. But I, I want, and I've told you know, David Shoemaker at the COC this as well, I want basketball to be the main story for Canada in Paris. And then you can sure as heck that, that I'd love it to be an even better story when we head to L.A. in 2028. And I'll talk often to the, the young players and, and even staff in our, in our organization and walk them back from the, the thought of going down to L.A. in 2028 you know, onto a United States owned and operated basketball court and potentially beating them for a medal. Um, that's a defining moment for a country. That's a defining moment for a sport. I'm not promising it. I'm not saying we expect it. Um, we're going to hold ourselves accountable to doing everything we can to remove any excuse so that if we get to that moment, we've got a shot to do it. And that's, that's a fun thing to think about. It's a fun thing to be a part of. And what I'm asking people to do right now, whether you're an employee, an athlete, a fan, you know, you know, a spokesperson like you both are for what basketball is in this country, a brand, get on that ride. Because it, honestly, that could be the end outcome of the ride. That could be one of those moments. And um, it's going to be a fun ride to get there. Just as a, as a quick little aside to our conversation, and, and Jonesy, I know you're in the exact same boat as well. One of those defining moments you speak about, Michael, I, I know that I kind of wear this little badge of honor along with Jonesy in that um, one of those sporting moments you speak of, we were in, ironically, Oklahoma City, of course, who, who may be home to the, to the best Canadian in the league right now in, in Shea Gilgis-Alexander, let alone Lou Dort, standing in a season seat holder's little private lounge or something after the Thunder Raptor game alongside Mark Eversley, Canadian general manager of the Chicago Bulls, a Canada basketball the, board the member, Golden Goal. a Canada yeah, basketball sorry, board yeah, member Canada now. Board, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's just the the way that you can intersect those moments, just as from a basketball perspective, sharing that hockey experience, but in Oklahoma City alongside Mark Eversley is just. Anyways, that's just my own little my own little side story to all that. Um, Michael, I don't know. If this is necessarily a a, a, a negative take on this, but for all the positives that are building and everything, there have been obviously you know a, a, a couple of stumbles, a couple of letdowns along the way here, even just in, in most recent years. Um, I'm not even sure what the question is beyond how do you make sure that those stumbles are done now and that the thing continues to move forward because all the momentum that's building, you got to now take advantage and capitalize and you can't afford those stumbles. Yeah. Yeah, and listen, we, we can't control the end outcome of the game. And, and good news for Canada, I will never take um, a shot on on a court. Um, you know, I will leave that to the athlete. But And we can't control those outcomes. Sometimes the ball's going to go in and sometimes it doesn't. But the thing that we've been talking a lot within our environment is removing excuses. So, you know, you know when Glenn and I teamed up, when I first joined the organization and, and you know, ever since, and speaking with Rowan and speaking with Denise and, and then in speaking with their coaches, Victor and, and Nick, respectively. The question that we're always asking is, what do you need to make sure there's no excuses? 
excuses for Canada basketball performance in the past have always been we didn't have enough time together. We didn't have enough money, perhaps, to spend on, you know, the travel to get to the scrimmage that we needed. We might not have invested enough money in the coaching system to make sure that it was connected. And I've heard that, you know, in my, my first month, second month, third month, so that by the point that I really understood what the excuses had been, we could define how we address them. And it all comes down to money. Um, and what we've been focusing on, and listen, our partnership with Sportsnet, and we're creating an event like Global Jam, and we're creating new brand assets, and you'll notice, you know, we've been in, doing an announcement, it seems like, every few weeks now, we just brought on Sun Life as, as our jersey partner, Mizzou, Shroma, Flair, Airlines, Gatorade, uh, yeah, shameless plug for all of them, for sure, but they're the ones that are stepping forward um, to be a part of what we're trying to create as a unified basketball moment for this country, but I'm not hiding it. They're investing dollars so that I can invest those dollars back in competitive advantages to those excuses. So we've grown our revenue capacity significantly in the last 20 months, and we've grown our expenditures just as significantly, and one would argue, as Jonesy would see as a board member, probably even more than our revenue capacity. But our, our organization has given ourselves permission to be in invest-spend mode right now because if I learned anything from my time in pro sport with MLSC, you do have to spend money on competitive advantages. And competitive advantages will eventually remove excuses. They will become things that you can leverage for the positive rather than things that you say, you know, I wish I had because now you've got them. So I'm going to give my players and my teams all the room in the world to miss shots because those are going to happen. But we're not going to have excuses when it comes to resources anymore. I, that's my job um, as, you know, where I get out of bed every day. That's how I can contribute. And that's how our business team and our operations team and our domestic team and high performance team, that's how we collaborate. We've got to understand what those competitive advantages are. And then we've got to go raise some money to invest Michael, Global Jam uh, is coming up and, you know, announcements made and, and – uh... Uh, there's there's a lot to it. Where, where do you see this going? In, I mean, it was great last year. Uh, you know, something's being built. Uh, you know, you told me last year we had a whole bunch of people all of a sudden saying, "Hey, we want in next year." Different countries, different places. Everybody wanted to be a part of it once they saw what was going on. Where do you see it heading down the road? I mean, we're in for another terrific summer, but where's it going? Yeah, Jonesy, ultimately, we'd love it to be the annual celebration of basketball, or I'll even call it Summer League Nerves, for that NCAA age bracket that Canadians are anticipating. You know, there's no, there's no secret to the fact that we, we announced Global Jam in the middle of March Madness because a lot of the players that Canada or the Canadians saw last year are having career years and playing very well in the, the, the tournament right now. A lot of the players they're going to see at this year's tournament they're being introduced to during March Madness right now as they play for their college teams. So I would love for this event to be a, an, a, a series of dates that you circle on your calendar for a hoops fan in this country and you say, well, you know, it's Global Jam Week. So I know I'm either tuning in or I'm getting my butt to wherever city this is being hosted in. I would eventually love to move this around the country. 
we know that basketball in so many city centers across Canada um, is is the fastest growing sport. It would be Montreal, Victoria, Vancouver, Edmonton, Halifax. So we've had conversations with our friends in each of those cities that have all said one day we'd love to host it. And mm-hmm. so for us to, to turn it into a celebration of basketball and all things basketball in Canada uh, is the ultimate objective. From a development standpoint, and, and this is like I really started to understand it after debriefing with the high performance teams last year after the event. You know, we have a chance now with this age group to indoctrinate them into our system and make sure that (laughs) our future winter and summer core players just have one more opportunity to to get runs in with our program. Because, you know, I've, I've talked about it a little bit. In FIBA basketball, there's U19 and then senior team. Well, listen, our senior team is on men's and women's, it's chock full. We know who that senior team's going to be for the next three or four years. So Ryan Nemhard and Thomas Kennedy and, you know, Shy Day Wilson and, you know, Leticia Amir might be the anomaly and, and Aaliyah Edwards might be the anomaly. But with so much talent at the ages of 24, 25, 26 in our country, our 23 to 19-year-old talent isn't getting opportunities to play for their country. So from a development perspective, as much as a event property and celebration perspective, uh, we tried to create a double bottom line. And then I'll say the third bottom line for, for Global Jam is sort of families. Um, why were there 200 <laughs> Nemhard family and friends out last night? Because it was the first time they've ever been able to see him play at home, period, full stop. We're not doing enough, or we haven't been doing enough Canada basketball events in this country to give friends and family a chance to see their young son or daughter play for their country on home soil. So the third part of the bottom line is the connectivity with friends and family, and that's a way that we create program loyalty as well. And, and there we come full circle, Mike, Michael, from where we started about, you know, as I call it, the leaf effect and, and seeing our athletes play on home soil. And the other thing, too, is... Um, you know, we've had a problem in the past and we don't have that problem now. And I remember being on, uh, you know, as you were today with with uh, with Tim uh, McAuliffe after that bitter disappointment in Victoria, losing to the Czech Republic, where we had more talent, but we weren't we didn't have the chemistry. And, you know, some guys weren't there. And what this is doing also, Michael, is it's rewiring or wiring our kids to want to play with the maple leaf on their chest. And, you know, Eric and I have talked about this, and we're going to get to the point, and it, it's probably going to happen this summer when we go to the World Cup, where, you know, we have to consider leaving NBA players off our national team. Yeah, you know, the what's the narrative been, at least in the men's program? And I'll you know, shout out to the women's program. Their athletes have always answered the call and have always shown up and what we're trying to do is create an environment in the men's program where that continuity and, and loyalty and connectivity uh, is mirrored. Uh, we're getting there. Nick and Ryan are doing a great job with, with the culture and environment that they've created there. But, you know, the past narrative has been Canada being upset at a player for not showing up. And I will bet you soon the narrative will become the player being upset 
that he was not picked because there's just too much talent ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's yeah. not a bad situation. Yeah. There's, you know, hockey's had that for decades. Guys that are on the cusp and upset that they missed out on that shot to represent their country, we're, we're approaching that all in both men's and women's basketball in this country. Michael, we appreciate the time as always. Always great chatting with Michael Bartley. We appreciate his time. And, Jonesy, I, I know we're, we're both hoping to be in Philippines, you especially as a board member for Canada Basketball. But I, I just have one request is I don't know if I'm going to get there or not. So can you buy one of those, like, really gigantic suitcases? And if I have to, you know, get in a suitcase and maybe, you know, go under with all the, the dogs and the pets and the animals, in the, in the, you know, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do whatever it takes, Jonesy, if it, just to get over there. I got, I got to see this team in action. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll give you the Flintstone suitcase, though, because I'm not carrying it. You're going to have to stick your feet out the bottom and walk. So, uh, no, it, it, listen, I'm looking forward to it. Um, it's going to be a great competition. And as we said to Michael, we may have to eventually leave some NBA players off. And if Canada can finish uh, as the best team in the Americas, one of the two best team in the, teams in the Americas in the World Cup, then there's no worry or disappointment about qualifying for France in 2024. They can kill two birds with one stone, probably by hitting the podium uh, at the World Cup. Folks, I say it all the time. Subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. But I'm also going to say share it. We've been pumping out a lot of great content of late. And make sure you share it with friends and family and basketball fans. The longest-running basketball show in Canada used to be known as Hoops. But now we call it Smith & Jones.